and welcome to the back page of video games podcast i'm samuel roberts and i'm joined as ever by matthew castle hello matthew we're rejoined by a previous guest for a um, deeply cursed episode so jay would you like to introduce yourself again uh hey i'm jay bayless uh, i came on last time to talk about sonic the hedgehog and i regret to inform you that i am back to talk about more little cartoon men who live in the video game um yes. yeah i'm an indie developer i make video games and um, i guess this is kind of a more relevant one than last time um in that so i'm working on a game called cassette beasts which is a monster collecting rpg um and if you haven't heard of Pokemon, that is also, I guess, in the same genre space as that. Yeah, it's um, awesome to have you back, Jay. Um, I kind of like this episode was partly inspired by the fact that whenever we've talked about um, Pokemon, when we've say been um, ravaged by angry elephants in Age of Empires Four, or um, you know, playing Risk of Rain Two, you have had good um, uh, high level thoughts on the Pokemon series. So I was keen oh, to get your your take on it sorry matthew go on. Uh, no i'll just say that's it's really good to have some high level thoughts to cancel out my very low level low effort takes <laughs> <laughs> yes i like the idea that anyone can have like high level thoughts about like pikachu <laughs> like just like a general concept i think people do so i feel bad for matthew castle who doesn't know much about pokemon and i've kind of inflicted this on you matthew how are you feeling about the fact that we're going to do an episode about pokemon games are you, are you good are you okay pal yeah uh, my only nerves are that any end gamer readers or O&M readers listening to this will realize um how very little i knew when i was writing quite a lot about pokemon as part of my job probably my least favorite bit of my job as we'll get to in a bit apologies to people who read my takes and thought i had any clue what i was talking about (laughs) (laughs) even worse than writing magazine box outs and captions matthew even worse than that well in terms of like i i I reread my pokemon black white review the fact that i reviewed that game is preposterous and the fact that (laughs) i sort of offered my grand takes on where it fit into the Pokemon series. I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, it really is, uh, you know, mad. But uh, luckily, it's very, very hard to find online. So um, that's that's good for me. That was a decade ago. I mean, Jay, you were quite plugged into the ONM scene at the time. Do you have any memories of reading Matthew's writing on Pokemon and being offended um, by his writing? Oh, I think I mentioned this last time, but um, the ONM kind of online forum community has become kind of this weird origin story for a lot of people who work either in games directly or kind of very game adjacent um i have quite a few like friends and contacts now who are just people that i used to speak to when i was like a teenager on a forum i don't know if that's like cool or if that's very like sad when it comes to like O&M, it was nintendo and then it was pokemon and they were in equal weighting with each other in terms of how big and important they were i can't say i recall the particular coverage in the magazine i feel like you know it was one of those magazines where it did kind of manage to successfully kind of blend everyone's voice into the the onm mm. voice at large so i can't i don't think it was the kind of magazine where you'd like highlight this this particular person like oh they don't know what they're talking about yeah i i didn't do much pokemon stuff in onm it was it was mainly in gamer where i did an awful lot considering my my kind of general level of expertise um i think whenever we did it on onm we tended to get chris scullion to do it because he was you know naturally he was naturally into pokemon and that made sense also i don't think we had a big big pokemon release while i was on o&m maybe x and y my my timeline of pokemon gets a little hazy 
after <laughs> yeah. black and white because that was that was the one I was really in the trenches for. X and Y, that happened in tw- that was late 2013, Matthew, so that would have happened while you're on there, right? Right, yeah, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that sounds about right. I have a very vivid memory of um, that broke the release date by one day and I was more hungover than I've ever been and I woke up to, like in university um, someone informing me that Pokemon's just come out early and I had to like <laughs> in a horrendous state, like, drag myself down to game. <laughs> I think that memory sticks with me more than the game itself. I think we'll go into this, but they all kind of blend into one in a little bit. Um, I know, in terms of high-level thought, I will preface that I think I have kind of, like, a measured take on it. I'm not, like, a huge fanboy on it. I like to think that I have kind of, like, a clinical take on Pokemon. Oh, okay. Both positive and negative. So we'll go into that, but yeah. Yeah, so to give people a breakdown of what we'll, um, what we'll do in this episode, like the first section, we'll talk about uh, Pokemania, the rise of Pokemon as a phenomenon in the late 90s, because that's the area that I have the most knowledge in, and then um, and Jay has lots of um, great knowledge around that space too. And we, th- we figure it's probably the best fit for our listeners in terms of like what we perceive as their age group. That's not based on any, any data, really. It's just me looking at faces um, of people on Twitter. Um, so that's good audience research by me. Um, we're doing this episode <laughs> to mark the release of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Or I don't know how you pronounce that, Jay. Am I correct there? Is it Arceus? Uh, I feel like they changed it at some point to Arceus. Maybe just because they didn't want Arse to be in the title of the game. Wise. Yeah, wise. Um, yeah, we've not played that. And um, because I'm a PR now, I didn't feel like feel like I could reach out to Nintendo and ask for a copy because it'd be too weird. So I just didn't do anything around that. But that's fine because I kind of wanted to just talk about some older stuff anyway. But a real kind of good treat and um, a deeper dive into the series is coming in part two of this episode where Jay will talk about um, the best Pokemon games across different categories. So um, I'll just say what the categories are now, actually, because I think they're really good, Jay. You came up with these. So thank you so much for that. Um, there's the best gateway into the series today, the best story, the best world to discover, the best roster of monsters the best spin-off title and the best retro title in the series so um instead of trying to like rank them um as a series we thought that might be a bit arbitrary we'd um we take that approach instead so um yeah i'm looking forward to that but um jay let's talk a bit more about cassette beast because um awesome. people can wish list this game on steam now right like it's they um, can indeed yeah yeah and um do you want to talk a bit about like formats and um how the game's coming along that sort of thing yeah um so it's we've announced it for pc uh switch and it's coming to game pass uh, which is very exciting, um, at an indeterminate future date. So it's interesting kind of talking about making a game in this genre space because I think so much of like the culture around it is tied to like kind of fandom and fan expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of came in it kind of like this roundabout place uh, rather than being like, hey, we love Pokemon. We want to make a game like that because we love it, um, which probably isn't like the best way to like kind of structure your business, um, <laughs> which ultimately like making games is. I think it kind of hinges on this theory almost that Pokemon's success, because Pokemon is the biggest, most successful media franchise in the whole world, which is kind of a little bit balmy to think about. And kind of we were like, what if people who love the games love the genre as much as they love the brand? And therefore, maybe this is an underserved like, you know, like genre of games that you can kind of mm. do some cool stuff and explore. But it's 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 interesting to kind of work like work on and work with and kind of discuss with because we have like a community online um, of people who are talking to us about what's going to be in the games, and we get questions like, okay, so how many gym leaders do you have, or like, do you have like an elite four or like an equivalent of your elite four? And we're like, no, that's like Pokemon. That's they do that. Like we're kind of approaching this structurally very different. The game actually isn't structured like a Pokemon game, but I think 
so much of the genre in people's minds is tied to that one brand mm. that it really kind of shapes how people think about it. Like kind of one of the uh, kind of big thematic changes or kind of like approaches we have is that when we were discussing this, we were like, okay, if we want to make something that's a little bit more grown up, the one thing people joke about constantly, it's been like, man, isn't the fact that Pokemon is just about slavery kind of messed, is like kind of messed up. <laughs> you know, you're kind of capturing these like canonically sentient beings. Um, so how we kind of the premise of our game is that your characters uh, use like a, um, a tape recorder to record the kind of forms of creatures in the world and then they kind of transform into them Power Ranger style. So you're playing as a person who turns into a monster rather than like playing as a thing you netted. Um, <laughs> right. And that kind of also leads into kind of one of our big um, kind of poster features is like this fusion mechanic where you have like an NPC partner and you have yourself and then in your monster forms you kind of like fuse together like kind of do like a bit of a Dragon Ball Z fusion dance kind of thing to become one kind of big monster. And we have this kind of procedural system that creates like a new monster design that looks like both of your previous monster forms. Um, And that kind of taps into like a little bit of the fan culture kind of like people who like love to draw, like what if these two Pokemon crossbred and stuff like that. Right. Um, And it also leads to kind of some fun story stuff because like, there's something kind of like very personal about like fusing with a human being and then like you kind of build relationships with characters and stuff like that so yeah i guess as like a kind of wider project it kind of comes from a love of pokemon but i don't think i would say it comes from we're big fans and we can only yeah. recreate a version of pokemon that we've invented in our heads it sounds quite different to that thing that came out on pc a couple of years ago um Temtem? Temtem, which is just like straight up Pokemon, right? Yeah, I, I definitely feel like, um, I think, I haven't actually played Temtem. I think their pitch was like, what if we take something that feels very much like something you recognize immediately, but it's like an MMO. Pokemon MMO is always one of these things that has been thrown around as like, when a, as like a dream thing they could make. And in reality, like, I don't think they'll do that. I don't think anyone wants to see uh, Pokemon actually make an MMO, but it's kind of like one of these like, dream game ideas and they really tapped into that it's sort of weird that you've got this game which has so many fans and so many vocal fans that there does exist like this mass of almost like market research sort of accidental (laughs) market research just because there are some people telling exactly this is what i do and they can be very precise in their breakdowns of like i want this feature this feature and this feature you feel like there is a version of Pokemon where you just delve into all that stuff and you give people exactly what they want that would be, like, lethal. <laughs> I feel like Legends uh, Arceus might be kind of tapping into that to some extent because everyone's going to be framing this. And once the reviews come out, I am very positive it'll be framed around, like, this is Pokemon plus Breath of the Wild because everyone loves Breath of the Wild. Mm. And, like, since Breath of the Wild came out, people were doing, like, Unreal Engine mock-ups of, like, what if... Breath of the Wild, but it's Pokemon. I actually think this is one of the kind of more unique points in time where they've pivoted very heavily to like, this is exactly what the fans are asking for. Broadly, they kind of do their own thing. And I have my theories on that. We can talk about that a little bit later. Hmm. But um, this is kind of an interesting point where they're like, let's pivot to something that is actually quite driven by this collective subconscious imagination mm. yeah that's right jay um, i think as well like um is it um at bitten studio on um twitter people can go yeah, look at uh twitter slash b-y-t-t-n studio and um mm-hmm. yeah we post updates and stuff um 
we last year we announced uh i kind of since our last podcast we announced we got a partner like a partnership with a, a publisher called raw fury and uh, they've been super rad to work with and it's a little bit more kind of exciting to feel like you're working on like a published game mm. um yeah i think it's gonna i think people who are expecting something very close to pokemon maybe will find it's not that, that but maybe that's good i think that maybe that's like good in terms of sticking around in people's minds i feel like there's a lot of like weird britishisms as well there's a monster that i designed that's kind of like a nightmare version of like mr blobby um there's a few <laughs> things like that so hopefully it has its own kind of like identity i like that you suggest a nightmare version of mr blobby as if to suggest mr blobby isn't already a nightmare creature <laughs> This conversation is going to be so confusing to people who are not familiar with Mr. Blobby. I think, like, in general, this episode is going to, like, be a big kind of European Pokemon extravaganza as opposed to something that's, like, broadly universally recognisable to people. Um, Just because I think, Jay, when we were talking about this episode beforehand... Mm -hmm. We had some very specific British um, yes. cultural touch points with Pokemon. That the we, rollout, um... yeah, the rollout across um, kind of the brand. So the brand kind of starts in Japan and then like rolls into America and then hits Europe, and it kind of has this kind of rolling effect. So I'm sure there's some crossover with how it like, like quote unquote, well went down in America. But mm. um, yeah, there's some definitely unique anecdotes that kind of we ended up with just by brainstorming like what it was like at this time. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, Nightmare Mr. Blobby, very good. So yeah, I do recommend going on to the um, uh, Twitter page and taking a look. Jay's art is uh, absolutely beautiful. I think the game looks fantastic. So um, yes, excited to see it come to fruition. So um, one tiny bit uh, of housekeeping before we get into the episode then is, uh, Matthew, we haven't talked about the Wii draft results yet. Um, So how are you feeling about that? I won by I think like 66 to like 34%, something like that. tough how are you feeling about it yeah tough i mean like i was i'll be honest i wasn't expecting to lose i wasn't expecting to lose to that degree like the idea that people could shrug off galaxy 2 so easily was surprising to me i if i could do anything again i would take skyward sword instead of red steel 2 red steel 2 is just it's just sitting there like a big old turd in the middle of in middle of the lineup (laughs) Um, I think that's that's the game that people get to and they're like, eh, no, no thanks. If I had another Zelda on there, it'd be fine. I don't really regret any of the other picks at all, but that's the swap I'd make. As always, people can't look past the Zeldas, even though there's no way you're playing a whole Zelda on a mini console because no one ever has and no one ever will. But listen, <laughs> let's, let's not be bitter about it. Um, I, I think someone I, would have played um, uh, A Link to the Past on... Um... Or the SNES Mini? Don't you think that's plausible? I think. It uh, is. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, with the with the, with the quick save feature, um, making it a bit easier as well. Yeah, that's that's probably plausible. But I think people have this idea that they want these massive games. Where actually, I think you'd have a better time. Like, like this is going to seem preposterous based on that poll, but I really do think I know best what's best for our <laughs> listeners, and they have rejected they've rejected what is better for them. Um, and that's oh. okay. Uh, hilariously, someone tweeted at me uh, from uh, uh, this Danny man said I was tweeting when I was tweeting about, okay, you'd rather go around to Sam's house and play with old Zelda's. It had the big energy of that uh, come dine with me meme of the... <laughs> That guy who loses and then goes off on one. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, have I seen it? I am that guy, Matthew. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, you said um... it had big. What a sad little life, Jay. Energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love to have seen a Photoshop mocked up of that somehow. Uh, and, and it did uh, have that yeah. energy. I seemed like a sore loser in the tweet, but genuinely, 
uh, people have missed out on a on a really great Wii Mini, <laughs> but that's fine. I, I have like um, tried to restrain myself a little bit from gloating because I'm very conscious of like I don't want you to be upset because I want to keep doing these. So like, um... <laughs> oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Honestly, it honestly, it honestly doesn't matter. I was just surpri- I was surprised a little bit, but I, I honestly don't care, which I know is. Um, Again, another tweet. The um, what's that? I'm not something. I'm not. <laughs> said crying. Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, yeah, okay. Like, well, I won this one, but so that makes it three two in the drafts. I was wondering, wondering, Jay, you follow the podcast a little bit. Did you have any take on our draft picks or uh, um, or, or that kind of thing generally? I feel like Samuel's was the the rational choice, and yeah. Matthews was kind of like the esoteric perhaps more deranged kind of build um <laughs> like if nintendo released that people would be much more upset but there'd be more to talk about potentially yeah if they released it and they released both of them but mine was labeled deranged edition <laughs> and then your grandma gets you like the wrong one for christmas and, like, <laughs> you're like oh grandma you crying. called me the deranged wee mini why did you do that i said i wanted the good one <laughs> your son's desperate he was desperate to play the last story now he's got Hydro Venture. I, I was surprised how many people were like, oh yeah, the last story, the last story, that was a big factor. And you're like, that's, that is as obscure as a lot of the stuff that was on mine, I would say. But whatever. Yeah. I I think like a lot of people like Ghost Squad as a pick as well, Matthew. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe I picked the, picked the wrong stuff. Maybe I was just, maybe Other M is a bit too contrary, but I feel like... I need to force people to to to, to play that game and 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 reevaluate it, you know, from a seven to an eight. <laughs> I do yeah. think the appeal of Metroid Prime trilogy or other M, in terms of you know catering to a Metroid fan, it's it's definitely a challenging uh, yeah. swallow, perhaps. It's big like um, Lee Carvalho's putting challenge versus Bone Storm. Um, yeah, very good. So yeah, a lot of fun there, Matthew. Uh, thank you to our listeners for um, voting on that and um, sharing uh, their thoughts. Um, uh, be kind to Matthew. Um, he picked uh, a Wii that he um, that he would love, and so and I respect that. So um, yeah, so begins a period of detente, and uh, things <laughs> things will eventually be fine. Um, so good. Okay, right then. Um, on to the rest of the episode. Let's start with um, Pokemania then. So. Got a little pocket history here, so to speak. Um, I've um, written down some notes uh, after doing some like very last-minute research here because um, I forgot that I did this on the Sonic episode and I was just ready to start rambling about um, why Voltorb looks shit, but like, I thought <laughs> I should do some actual research and not just like good. chuck out some opinions. That's good. Um, so uh, Pocket Monsters Red and Green were released in Japan in 1996 after uh, six years of on-and-off development. Uh, Satoshi uh, Tajiri created a games fanzine called Game Freak when he was young, which became pretty popular. It's here he first worked with artist Ken Sugimori. Um, he, he eventually became a video game creator, and Game Freak was named after his fanzine. Uh, they took on work for hire jobs to keep things ticking over uh, while they finished the game. And um, it was released quite late in the Game Boy lifespan, but um, accumulated popularity. It would be released in um, the USA as Pokemon Red and Blue. Um, that's where the Pokemon abbreviation comes from for the... Um, localization and um an entire year later in europe in 1999 there's like a year separation there which would um 
would be like a you'd never see that sort of thing these days of course but um it was inspired the game was inspired um by uh tajiri's experiences living in rural tokyo um which was disappearing throughout his youth as the um the city became more sort of like modernized um he used to collect bugs and other creatures and the game was once known as uh, capsule monsters in its initial pitch um jay you've also been doing some research have i got anything wrong there and there, is there anything to add on that front i do think it's a very interesting story because like um so I was reading uh, the Ask a Water book and he talks about how he kind of got into game development and he was like early enough that he was getting involved with like the Famicom as it like began. So he, he kind of like jumped in to create the stuff that people would be fans of. of. You know, Satoshi comes in uh, later. He's like a bit younger. Um, you know, he starts as a fan and he creates this like this fanzine of like the games that he's playing in the arcades and stuff that he's a huge fan of. And I just think it's so interesting for him basically to go be one of these earliest stories of like someone who is a in their youth a fan of this medium that is very established at that point and later goes on to create Pokemon. Um mm. so he also he he starts pitching Capmon in like 1990. Nintendo aren't keen on it. No one's really keen on it. He's got this idea that like there's something really good here. And it took him six years between, like, coming up with the idea when he was 25 to, like, finishing it. And apparently um, a big hinge point in this was that um, Miyamoto eventually went to bat within Nintendo and were, like, basically was like, this, this guy, this guy's got something here. And then he just, like, crunched and stressed himself out to, like, actually knock out the game. They actually released, so there's Pokemon, in Japan, there's Pokemon Red and Green, which is technically an entire different game to Pokemon Red and Blue, which came out over here. So Pokemon Red and Green is an earlier version of the game we saw. We technically never saw Pokemon Red and Green. And it's essentially the same game, but boogier with worse art. Um, They would redraw all the Pokemon sprites and make a a third version called Pokemon Blue. And then Pokemon Blue was split into Pokemon Red and Blue to release over here. So Mm. it's kind of interesting that there's a whole prior worse version of this game that we never actually got to play so pocket monsters red and pokemon red are not the same game basically or it is but then pokemon red in japan was not pokemon red that eventually hit the west right that's essentially our pokemon red is essentially a new game they built off pokemon blue it's kind of confusing but um there's basically two versions of this that and one is slightly better than the other one and then they released the slightly better one pokemon deranged edition yeah (laughs) Um, is any of the art in the um, original Pocket Monsters, red and green, like, uh, is there anything interesting or notable about that art, Jay? Is it just quite, are they quite cursed-looking designs of, like, things? <laughs> so the designs of, like, the monsters and stuff was a lot more fluid and a little less, like, kind of defined. There's definitely, like, an indie sense to it, maybe a bit more like a punky kind of, like, almost... There's some of those some of those early sprites are really cursed, basically. <laughs> Pikachu has a cigarette. And I think, I feel like by the point of Pokemon Red and Blue, they had standardised the designs and kind of like this is okay this is what ghastly looks like this is how you draw pikachu everything's a little bit more like set and they were kind of working on the anime and stuff around that point so there's definitely a point where they were like this is what everything looks like we're sticking to this and early on it was a little bit more freeform um yeah. i would definitely advise if you're a fan but you weren't super aware of this definitely look up like the original sprites uh, they're a bit more manic. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, see, I didn't know they were entirely different games. I think maybe I knew that at the back of my mind, but like, um, did know how much they sort of changed along the way. So that's that is interesting. I mean, that is a big gap as well, like two years between um, release in the US. So like, 
I don't know, it's interesting that they were confident enough to release an original Game Boy game at that point too, because I think you had the Game Boy Color kicking around at that point. But they, I guess they thought, well, you can play it on there anyway and um, and give it a try. Another big thing that they, um, Tajiri was into was the idea of using the Link cable for trading. And I think it was Miyamoto who suggested that there were two versions of the game, Jay, is that right? Um, um, I don't know that particular fact, but I could, I could imagine that, totally. Yeah, I think um, I that was from a Did You Know Gaming um, video I watched um, to research there. So hopefully mm-hmm. it's true. If it's not, um, blame them, not me. Um, so yeah, it's good, <laughs> good, good research. Um, so I suppose then if we... Um, let's go into like our first encounters of the series. This is where we can talk about Matthew encountering Pokemon and his indifference, which you know I'm, I'm definitely keen to get into. So Matthew, why don't you kick us off? What's your first encounter with um, Pokemon as a young man? It's through my brother, Alex. He had Pokemon Red at the time. My, so my big thing with Pokemon, I think the three, four year age difference between me and my brother is like the defining feature here. I think this thing comes along in 1999. He's into that. I was watching the fucking Matrix um and you know the difference into you know i just associated it with i just found i found it very childish like off the bat like at that and that has always been that is my big very simple very basic pokemon take is i find it i find the world of it incredibly simple and basic and i don't get it counter to that several of my peers who are exactly the same age as me or a year or two older are really into it so my grand theory that it existed in this slightly younger generation, which I think is partially right because you know I'm I'm slightly older than than both of you two, and I think that's that that has that has a big defining factor on it, and I kind of carried a lot of that sort of prejudice with me to Endgamer. Uh, not prejudice, you know, I wasn't I wasn't like you know anti. I just didn't. I just had nothing to do with it. I didn't, you know, it just wasn't for me. And then when we were on Endgamer. I remember the dreaded day when Nick Ellis, the editor, came back uh, from a meeting with our publisher and said, "Oh, now the Pokemon's now the mag's got a regular Pokemon section in it." And none of us particularly cared for Pokemon. We were like, "Oh, why is that then?" And they said, "Well, you know, they want to have a regular Pokemon hit on every bag. Like we always want to have Pokemon on the bag. I don't know. I guess it had done well for like one issue of O and M or something, and so they." you know, in their infinite wisdom, decided that we would now be, you know, pivot to Pokemon. And so so was born World of Pokemon, which was a six-page regular section at the back of the mag where we had to talk about Pokemon. And I had to kind of, like, throw myself into Pokemon culture without it being too sneery and snide because, you know, that would that would be counter-intuitive you know, and not what we were promising on the bag. So... I just had to do my best, kind of hold my nose and, and, and try to kind of sink into Pokemon culture. Some of it's cool. Like, as with anything Nintendo, I love the fandom around something. You know, I love the creativity of the fans. I love, like, the weird internet humour of the fans. That stuff's all great. Um, I just felt that the fans were a lot funnier and more savvy than the games that they were celebrating. That's what I could never understand. Like, I think at the heart of Pokemon is the least interesting thing, which is the Pokemon games. And around that, there's a lot of cool stuff. That's kind okay. of my... That's my big take. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Castle, big Detective Pikachu guy. Um, oh, you know. fuck that. F- oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big um, Bill Nye um, as the villain, who's not actually a villain. Um, kind of like Bill uh, Nye is the voicing a Mew. What a world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> what a time to be alive. Jay, let's start with you because you, you are younger than Matthew and me. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you probably, 
Pokemon hit you at probably an even better age than it hit um, it hit me. So um, how, how about you talk about your experience with it? Okay, my notes say uh, Pokemon ruined my life. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of one of these hinge points in reality where if Pokemon didn't happen, there's a whole different version of me who's into like sports or something. Um, <laughs> I don't believe that. There's a, there's a version of you that just won the Australian Open. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm really into like cross country, you know. Um, um, uh, but Digimon would have happened anyway, Jay. So there was no escape for you. But would think. have Digimon ha- would Digimon have happened if Pokemon hadn't happened? See, now you have to start thinking about like the domino effect of all this. Wow. Um, yeah. This is some. Um, this is like that. Um, the plot against America on HBO. It's exactly the same. Uh, we can, we can discuss. <laughs> The, stake, the stakes are higher though because Digimon was much worse. <laughs> we can discuss God. Digimon in like year in like year five of the podcast when you bring me on to do uh, best <laughs> Digimon games. Yeah, and the podcast is like so steeped in like meta irony that <laughs> someone new tunes in and then they like they're expecting like Pokemon discussion, but we're just talking about like kebabs in Bristol for like two hours. <laughs> um, we were already I, at yeah, that point. I was about six or seven when Pokemon like hit. Um, which is, like, the right age for, like, my developing child brain. And I distinctly remember catching it briefly on TV, like, um, the second episode had just aired. Um, A big crucial point in this, actually, is that over here, the anime hit first and almost Mm. became, like, a a pre-advertisement for the game that hadn't released yet, which is kind of interesting and kind of unique and kind of, it's it's kind of like a, a product of its, like, the time. It wouldn't happen now. But I think it's a very interesting uh, prospect because um, I distinct, distinctly remember like seeing this on TV and being like, "Oh, this is something that's like tapping into like every aspect of like what I'm interested in and what I like in things." Um, as someone, I used to like love drawing and stuff and like creatures and things, so it was like, "Oh heck, like this is this is going to be bad for me." I like the you idea know, like, of a seven-year-old thinking that. <laughs> Just like, very sophisticated <laughs> deep thoughts there a very self-aware just like it's, it's the weight of like feeling like the timeline change around me <laughs> oh jay you're in trouble now he says to his seven-year-old self <laughs> the fact that this is happening in like northern england feels very doctor who as well <laughs> um I've, yeah so it's like hard to overstate like the the impact that like i guess like pokemania had it like became this big anime airing on TV. I guess um, another part of this as well is that it got syndication on like all of the channels. So this wasn't like a, you had to have cable, you had to have like Sky satellite to watch this. This was airing on like CITV, which is kind of like the like the if you don't if you're not from the UK, that's kind of like that everyone has that channel, the ITV channel. So suddenly there's this big thing. It's new, it's exciting, and it's on your TV that everyone can watch. And it's like the game hasn't even come out yet, but then like there's this big this is an exciting cartoon, essentially. And then the game hits, and then suddenly it becomes apparent that all this is multimedia around this one game, and the game's at the core of it. But I think what's so interesting as well is that the game becomes kind of a multimedia experience in of itself as a game, in that you're learning about the creatures in this game. So, like, nowadays, I guess we take for granted, like, okay, the new Pokemon game comes out, you go online, you know what all the Pokemon are. Um, I think they're very... They're cusp of the pre-internet era where pokemon launched meant that like there was a real era of mystique to this you'd learn about like a new pokemon from someone telling you about the pokemon they saw on a t-shirt in a shop or like maybe you go to woolworth's and you see an action figure for a new pokemon and now you have that knowledge that you can transfer into your game's progress um 
because you're a child and you're not very good at the game so it takes a lot longer to finish mm-hmm. um there's this kind of sense of like you're learning about this world and bringing that knowledge like from all this merchandise it's like a perfect storm of like selling things to kids and every like bit of thing that you're sold or like you see or discuss on the playground or these pokemon cards you bring that knowledge back to the game so like the cartoon it was like a genius in terms of like it teaches you the rules of the pokemon that have a storyline that explains that like i know pikachu can't use electric attacks on ground types and then you're playing with the game and you can go aha that knowledge that i learned from this cartoon on tv can now be transferred into my own game and i can win a fight and i think like at an age like where games were at at the time like that's so it's impressive that they pulled that off and it does feel like a happy accident of a lot of things coming together, like in mm-hmm. such a successful manner. Um, you know, and also like the timing of like it dropping before, just before the internet really goes mainstream. But yeah, it was huge. I, I don't know if that kind of mirrors your experience, Samuel. Oh, yeah. I mean, it does actually. I think the sense of mystery aspect is um, very true, and I think it massively helped that the game was it was out there as a phenomenon in the US a year before, so it was like this big thing you sort of knew was coming. Um, my first encounter with Pokemon was there was a future mag, a spin-off mag from um, N64 called Planet Game Boy. I think it only ran for a few issues. And I bought it because it came with two free um, batteries on the front cover, which, of course, was, you know, a great, great value. Um, Just what the editorial team wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And inside, it was a a massive feature on Pokemania as a thing, and it broke down the anime side of things, stuff like that. I remember there was, like, a long box out on um the three starters and how they interacted and how whichever one you picked you um your rival picked the stronger one elementally um and all all this stuff and uh it was i remember being like hooked from from that and that was summer 99 i remember that came out so the game was already out in the u.s and it did seem um really exciting and sort of strange and um i guess i did think the monster designs were cool the difference is that age-wise let's think i think i was 11 when pokemon came out so it hit me just before i aged out of it i would say um mm. so that's why i have like a really concentrated interest in the sort of red blue gold silver era um that kind of dissipates once the game boy advance comes along and i'm playing like gta 3 and stuff but i echo what jay says about the relationship between the anime and the game when um i actually emulated the game after i read about it in planet game boy because game boy is like one of the easiest things you can emulate uh, uh you know back then and um i downloaded it from some some geo cities looking site um uh <laughs> pokemon blue and um yeah it seemed really exciting to be playing it before it was out but the cartoon was on and i remember like looking for bits of the elements of the game as represented in the cartoon like all the episodes i wanted to watch in the anime were like gym leader battles and like oh well i know this um this gym leader's got a raichu so i want to see what happens there i know there's this bit where um you know your character gets on a boat and then team rocket uh, are there and all this stuff and like I-, I was kind of like looking for those parallels but the anime would also have lots of like time-wasting bullshit episodes <laughs> um where just nothing would happen or something cutesy would happen or it'd be like an episode about some Brock or Misty personal life bullshit and like it'd be a character who wasn't in the game and like I, yeah I think what I realized was I was slightly too old for the anime but I was the right I had the right age and I was the right age and brain basically for the uh, for the game um because I think as well it was kind of kind of my first RPG as well Pokemon um that's the other big thing and so yeah, yeah i became i became massively into it and i would say the sense of mystery element kind of rolls over to gold and silver where there are these other versions that exist in japan long before but by then 
there is an emerging um, internet and like a, a massive fan interest and this stuff like starts to slowly creep out as information we'll talk about that in a little bit but that was my first encounter with it jay um any kind of uh, reflections on that from you anything that sounds familiar it's interesting i feel like they had probably a lot of free reign with the anime you know the game had been a hit in japan they commissioned an anime studio like like make 40 episodes or so and originally they hadn't intended to carry on like keep it going it was going to be like a one and done i do remember reading that like if it had have ended it would have, um, you know, just they just won and done it, and then they didn't do the future seasons. The anime supposedly might have ended with Pikachu launching like a rebellion where all the Pokemon rise up and overthrow their masters. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah, they would go from um, kind of adapting elements of the game, so you'd like have their interpretation of like a moment, like a gym leader or like a dungeon fight, and then they'd have an episode where everyone goes to like Las Vegas, which doesn't kind of geographically make much sense. Um, right. I never understood why the anime had quite a good sense of humour to it. It was quite surreal. Team Rocket, there was a lot of surreal stuff with them, and none of that seemed to come from the game. The games are so plain in terms of their writing. Interesting hearing you going from one, you're going from the anime to the games. I'm surprised that wasn't more like jarring. That like the tone of the world wasn't as well reflected. Or maybe that's I don't know. Maybe I, that's just, I wonder if sophisticated for a seven year old, but part of that might just be like the expectation of what you can convey on like a Game Boy or a Game yeah. Boy Color. Um, I do wonder if part of it might be that um, like localization limitations meant there was only so much text they can put in. I yeah. wouldn't be super surprised. I probably should have looked into this. I wouldn't be super but, surprised yeah, I mean... if like the Japanese version is a bit like snarkier and stuff like that. Um, it's also quite interesting that the game, uh, like the anime versions of the characters aren't quite the same versions of the characters in the games. And over time, they've like continued to like make this divide where these things exist in their own parallel universes with their own characters. Um, I feel like if this had happened ten years later, even they would have been it would have been like a much more one to one adaptation, and they would have kind of like had a bit more of like a unified brand yeah. vision with kind of its characters and its tone and things. Not to keep banging this drum, but like it, it, it is odd to me that of basically all the big Nintendo franchises, Pokemon is the one which resists the kind of slightly surreal modern humour of the other Nintendo localizations. I don't feel like you've... You don't... It doesn't feel like the Nintendo Treehouse lot. I don't know if it is. I, I don't know if it's a different group that localise it, but it's it's pretty straight-laced for, for a Nintendo game. You know, it's very... You know, there's no, like... I'd love a Pokemon which had, like, the energy or the weirdness of an Animal Crossing, say. Do you know anything about that, Jay? The localization um, side of it? I see Pokemon as a Nintendo game, but also kind of it's doing its... It wouldn't surprise me if they had their own entire approach to like how they think about things like that. Mm. I almost feel like it's quite separated from the rest of Nintendo um, as much as like they have like a stake in it. Uh, I feel like that's, that shows with them kind of dipping into like multimedia stuff or like... Um, you know, doing mobile games first and stuff like that. Um, mm. I feel like maybe like the nature of how big the brand is kind of means it's quite separate from the rest of it. Mm. Um, and I wonder mm. if that has a part of it. Uh, I wonder also if part of the appeal of Pokemon is... I mean, maybe I'll talk about this in a bit, but like the um, there's kind of a blank slate nature. And I wonder if part of like the genius is that they don't go too hard on a particular vision. I mean, they're kind of expecting players and particularly younger players to kind of project their own vision of like what's happening or how like what the tone of this is onto the games and mm. they leave it quite bare bones like as like a tactical decision essentially 
Yeah. And then uh, also you get Pokemon Yellow a little while later, which mm-hmm. uh, kind of like tries to find more of a middle ground of, in terms of storytelling with the um, the anime. Uh, features like Jesse and James and um, uh, changes like some elements of the game to, to give you the Pokemon that Ash gets in the cartoon. Sorry, in the anime. So yes, it's like they do find ways to kind of bridge that gap but i agree with the projecting thing i will say i slightly preferred the tone in fact i definitely prefer the tone of the games to the the anime i found the anime like quite shrill hard to get on (laughs) with and if you look at them as very isolated products you can see how one informs the other in that like you know miss a brock and misty are just the first two gym leaders you fight but i feel like an executive went well they can be like the sidekick characters Mm -hmm. and instead of just being a guy who has rock pokemon brock can be incredibly horny every episode and have some (laughs) and have some siblings that he needs to raise and like that felt i i I prefer i slightly prefer misty's thing of like she's got three slightly bitchy sisters who she's quite jealous of and that's that's better i think but um a horny Brock was definitely a choice. I want a really horny localization. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there is a, a fan hack of um, of uh, Red oh, and There Free definitely is, is. <laughs> the, the horny Brock version. You'll get put on a list if you download it, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I don't know. I sort of like. I, I, I guess like you know, a Brock's doing his thing. But um, yeah, every time he meets like a, a nurse Joy or an officer Jenny, he just loses his shit, and it's just you know, we've all got a mate like that, but. You know, <laughs> It's just you got you got to dial it back, man. But like I, that's why I think I think the other interesting thing actually is that for me that that was my first exposure to anime, and yes, it gave me like is, loads uh, of. Sorry, Jay. A, I was gonna say I just excitedly jumped in because I think this is part of um, the broader appeal of Pokemon, and maybe part of the importance of Pokemon um, as a franchise is that it's a lot of people's gateway into everything. It's a lot of people's first. RPG. It's a lot of people's first video game. Um, it's a lot of people's first like anime and like kind of like um, looking at like Japanese like pop culture. Um, I feel like because of its success and the kind of format of it, and like kind of like it's you can do a Pokemon thing with any device now. There's like a, a spin-off game or whatever, or like a YouTube video series. There's any electronic device you have has something Pokemon on there, and as a consequence, it's become a lot of people's first exposures to like a lot of the stuff that we are just kind of like full-time kind of in that world of essentially for sure i think like as well like um it's easy to forget how gamey the first game is like mm-hmm. it's like it has dungeons and stuff you know like Silphco is a dungeon and like the dark cave you go in as a dungeon and like it's a bit more structured like a trad rpg than you mm-hmm. maybe think it is when you reflect on it um just because you've seen the the template done in so many different ways, or so many like the, the same way, so many times that maybe you don't think about it as much of how they originally did it. But I certainly found Red and Blue to have quite a, a sort of trad RPG arc. Um, the thing I really loved about it was just that it basically put choice in the hands of the player to like build a party, an RPG party, the one you wanted, and to customize it the way you wanted. And that that seemed very exciting with these monster designs that were like variable in quality, but like there were some like really nice ones and ones that I found I liked as um as an eleven year old for sure. So um okay, like I want to jump ahead a little bit here just so we can get to your list, Jay. But like mm-hmm. um so a really weird, an interesting moment here in the height of my poker mania personally was that slightly pre-internet moment before Gold and Silver released. You would hear about Pokemon. Um, that new Pokemon that were in this game and some of the information was real some of it was fake but 
I remember being obsessed with the idea that when there were new Pokemon I didn't know much about. And there was this game, this full Game Boy Color game that had all, all of this on it. Do you remember that moment as well? Because I think we talked about this off mm. off um, podcast. And like, um, yeah, we seem to share this a little bit. I definitely remember there was like kind of like a, a temporary cottage industry of um, Pokemon fan magazines. Uh, unofficial ones that you get on news agents like uh, shelves. And I, def- I definitely remember buying a lot of these because basically the appeal was, hey... These magazines have printed images of sprites from games that haven't come out yet. And they'd have big splash things talking about, like, it's like Pokemon Mag, unofficial, look at the new Pokemon. And then you buy it for two quid because they've got, like, four sprites they've managed to rip and print. And they'd have a little box out that says, like, we don't know what the names will be <laughs> because it's in <laughs> Japanese right now. And there was this very exciting time of, like, there's more coming. And I definitely sent, like, the whole broader Pokemon kind of appeal especially at that point was this mystery element and i feel like that started early with you know um so like red and blue had like the secret pokemon mew and that was kind of like a last minute developer edition but suddenly the idea of like okay there's 150 pokemon in this game except there is not there is 151 at which point anything is possible you know like all bets are off and it comes to like the kind of like the playground rumor aspect um you know you can't guarantee the full contents of this game that you own and i think there's something like massively appealing that massively tapped into for a lot of people and then the idea that as an extension of that like there's a new pokemon game coming out with even more pokemon i definitely remember the first time i ever used a computer was being at like a family friend's house and like seeing the kids be like oh there's a website you can go onto it and it shows you like all the new pokemon and just the idea that you can go on the internet and learn all this knowledge I think that actually might be the hinge point that set me off on this path. Yeah. It's sort of like, I, I remember my mind being blown that there was this blue version of Pikachu um, that would be, it turned out to be Meryl. Oh, <laughs> Catherine like, was talking about that this morning. I didn't realise the fans thought that was a blue Pikachu. <laughs> yeah, you can sort of see why in retrospect. But um, yeah, like for, informally referred to as Pika Blue in internet circles for a long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was like a thing for sure. My, um, my brother, I asked my brother about Pokemon because he was into it. I was like, do you have any sort of big memories from that time? And he mentioned an urban legend that Mew lived under a truck. Under the truck. Yeah, so... Um... This is like a big famous one. There is, when you go to um, SS Anne, which is the big boat um, uh, Samuel mentioned, um, there is a, in the harbour, there is like a truck tile. There's like two tiles that are just like represent a truck. And if you sequence break, you can get there early by surfing across to the truck. But it doesn't do anything. But these tiles don't exist anywhere else in the game. And the rumour was like, okay, Mew is in the car. You have to find the keys for the car. <laughs> And then it became like, do you le- use strength and push the truck? Which I remember trying to do and failing. Um, do you uh, do you have to beat the final boss with, with only Pikachu? And then Giovanni gives you his car keys, and that's his car. But there was all. But it's. But the thing is, like, why? There has to be a reason as to why that truck was there, right? It's kind of this big question. Like, if you're a kid, it's a valid point. The, the truck doesn't appear anywhere else, and the answer it doesn't do anything. That's the secret. Um, <laughs> I don't actually know why the truck is there. In future games, they actually reference this by um, putting like a hidden, like a potion um, that you can get by like pressing A on the truck if you manage to sequence break and get there. Right. Um, That's good. I, don't yeah. actually, I should have looked up why there's a truck tile in the game. Maybe they just <laughs> thought it would be funny. I don't know. 
the what is what did blow my mind is years later when I was playing the virtual console red and blue is that you can make Mew appear without a, like a game shark or anything like that you could just do it um I think there's like a near lavender town there's like a, a thing you can do to make Mew appear it appears like a level five Mew and you you just you catch it straight away and like I only did that like three years ago and that felt like an enti- that felt like an entire part of my brain just opened up because I was like <laughs> I can't I thought I knew everything about this game that I rinsed as a kid and I had no idea that I could just go and get a Mew at any time if I knew how um yeah and like I- Mew to me was a thing that I remember watching um SMTV which is like a kids show um that was hosted by these presenters Ant and Deck for our, any <laughs> non-UK listeners they were like these kids entertainers and they flew to Japan and got a Mew along with this like competition winner and I was so fucking jealous and I think you're right Jay that like that that like mystery aspect just created like a next level of like intrigue that's like perfect for a kid's growing brain I guess um, it's, it's yeah it's such a perfect thing I so I guess like part of my like my pitch on this whole podcast is that Pokemon red and blue so like I, in a way I think there's an argument that it's hard to rank these games linearly. We talked a little bit about doing like a what's the best Pokemon game and it's a bit boring to talk about because they're all like the same but with a few changes. Mm. Um, But I feel like in a way every Pokemon game is just a remake of the first and it's more about maintaining this very particular experience and I think I would maybe posit that Pokemon is like the perfect video game like full stop in in terms of and I defended uh, Sonic Adventure 2 last time, so I'm, I need to choose my words carefully. But, um, like, if you t- if you take games that are kind of built around, like a, like, a world you want to inhabit as kind of one of the pillars of, like, what makes this medium good, there's something so interesting about the idea that uh, Satoshi Tajiri stuck with this for, like, ye- like, almost a decade to try and make this because there was something so appealing in it. Um and you talked about that before about how you build your own party, and I think as well, like it's not just that you customize your own party; it's that like the party you create tells a story. You know, if you have a monkey early on, that says, okay, you went off the beaten path, you went like to a side route, and like found monkey early on, and that's like it tells a story by just having that in your party, and it almost becomes like the monsters you have tell a narrative of what your journey through this game has like been. I think there's something mm. so fascinating about that. And I think there is something so like deeply appealing about the fantasy of Pokemon that has caused it to become like the biggest franchise in the world. Yeah, you know, like there's just something innately appealing about this. Is like a, a kind of like a blank slate world. You start a journey in that world. You project onto that world like how dark or comedic it is, or how child friendly it is, and you find these cool creatures because you know everyone just likes to see like a cool little guy, and they become your friends and then you win the game and how you encounter them like plots your path through this world and there's something so like beautifully genius and beautifully simple about that whole premise and i think as a consequence maybe framing it around like every game is just a it doesn't have to you know you don't have to advance pokemon you don't have to make the new pokemon where it's really edgy and you've got a gun now or you don't have to make it an mmo i think Pokemon is maybe about, like, they've created this franchise that is everyone's entry into RPGs, it's people's first anime, and 
it's always accessible and it's like a new fresh take and you can jump back into it if you want as an adult but it's not necessarily made for you anymore but it captures something so perfect in that first time you have that experience going through that world that like it doesn't need to change like it's it's like fantastic that that does make perfect sense and i would say that if you don't have that emotional connection or that initial emotional connection which i don't i don't think there's much else like i don't think there's like a safety net of like like an engaging story say or you know you know visually it's so sparse and you know they haven't they haven't like pulled out all the stops to kind of really update it that i've always thought this is a series that had rested on its laurels it isn't you know but maybe if if what it's actually resting on is this this sort of more profound emotional connection that i don't have that makes more sense how people can sort of forgive that stuff i always think you have to forgive a lot about a pokemon game and that's that's what i can't do because i don't yeah. have that that connection uh, my sort of theory from afar was always that i knew that there was this overarching collection element in that you brought pokemon from a previous game to a next game and i always rather snidely again thought there was like an element of sort of stockholm syndrome that people <laughs> had just invested so much time in building their pokedex that they got to a point where they could no longer remove themselves from pokemon like they had to like pokemon forevermore or it would basically render all that previous time they spent like a waste of time and that's that's how in my head i've always whenever i see someone my age who likes pokemon i think poor them they're still kind of deceiving themselves because they don't want to think it was all a big waste of time that's my very negative take it's also <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense because i know that there were big cut-off points along the along the way where you couldn't transfer you know like really that's a game boy thing that's right isn't it there's like a, a break between yeah, game boy um, and game boy advance yeah where you can't transfer it like for a long time i thought you could transfer i thought people were sitting on like 10 years of work basically but i don't think that is true and maybe it is more just that that like you say that raw emotional connection you know it's less about the the mechanical act of collecting um because i think a lot of people are doomed by collections like outside of games as well i think you if you buy enough of something you kind of commit to buying it all it's like that's the that's the the great uh trick slash scam of amiibo you know, you buy the initial Mebo and then you're basically doomed to buy them all because otherwise, what's the point? You know, it's the same with Funko. It's the same with football stickers or fucking monsters in my pocket when we were kids. But yeah, maybe it's not as sort of cynical as that. I think if Pokemon were to do what a certain generation of like a millennial fan would want, which is to like adult up and become a big boy franchise, I think that would mean that something would be permanently lost from the game ecosystem. I think pokemon's place is as like your gateway into this whole world um when people ask like do they make a be like do they make a pokemon for grown-ups the answer is like play other rpgs right um mm. and i think i think there's something hugely valuable in having that franchise of like hey this will get your this will get you as a kid into rpgs and then you'll grow up and you'll experience like more mature and more complex rpgs and maybe you'll attach to the story side of things maybe the mechanical side of things is important to you um i was talking to my brother about this because he's uh five years younger than me again and um he was playing uh sword and shield and he was like the gameplay is crap but that's not the point the point is that i'm going on a journey and collecting monsters the the, the fun comes from like you 
put this like team together and that team reflects your in your particular interests with like what kind of monsters you like mm. if you want to go for the underdog team where you only pick bad ones and kind of rise up anyway and you kind of craft your own fun out of it um i thought that was quite an interesting uh take on it i do if i can like give a throw a bit of criticism back at pokemon here i would mm. say that like over time jay it has softened off the harder edges of it i quite like some of the harder edges so the rivals get nicer yeah um the games get easier weirdo stuff like the um <laughs> porygon episode of the anime that like um the caused episode, uh, yeah. seizures and like or like the very it, the, i recommend like one of the best wikipedia pages around is banned episodes of pokemon like <laughs> that's a that's great and it's like there's an episode where like uh, james has like um a pair of breasts and a bikini and stuff um, from team rocket <laughs> and like it's like you know which is <laughs> I, I i i don't know it's just it just there's a, an interesting like collection of of like stuff there and um oh yeah that was something i felt over time jay that like the those hard edges were softened off a bit and it became so gentle and so kiddie that maybe there was an element of that that i liked in the earlier ones that was kind of removed i think um, that's what fair. do you think to that um it's hard to know it's hard to know if that's responding to criticisms over time we haven't even touched on like the american like satanic panic angle of this because it didn't really hit us but um, in America, there was this big fear that like Pokemon was a cult and Pokemon was making your child love the devil. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe there's a part of it where um, the games have gotten easier because attention spans have gotten shorter and maybe children are so like, their brains have completely fried because they've had access to YouTube since the age of like six months old uh, that they need a game that's even lighter on them. I do agree there is something lost in the kind of odder early Pokemon even just down to like, I think like the lore changed. Like Pokemon Red and Blue is very clearly set in this world where it's like, this is set on Earth and this is just like a weird Pokemon land that exists on Earth. You can go to like a museum and you can see like NASA spaceships and stuff and the Pokedex just talks about like the rest of planet Earth, like it's there. And over time they've kind of like retconned it and made it like, this is like a parallel world with the differences that they have Pokemon instead of animals. So they have like adjusted the brand, I guess, essentially from what we would have known when we were much younger um yeah i wonder if they'll keep changing it as sensibilities change it's hard to know really if it's just the people involved uh are playing it a bit safer or they're a bit what their opinion on what kids want has changed um there's definitely an angle of that i think you know i've definitely spoken to this on this podcast before but like the couple of times i've met game freak people to interview um i've met masuda a couple of times i was always slightly thrown by how young he kind of aimed a lot of his answers and like how he talked about it and i'm not saying that's an indicator of how he thinks about it you know but I'm, I'm sure behind the scenes it's a lot more complicated than this mm-hmm. but the the world view that they put out in their answers in those interviews was I, I thought so safe and sanitized you know where he was like when you're asking about like the inspirations behind the designs it's like you know cool cool pokemon for the boys cute pokemon for the girls and you're like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's funny because I've got, like, a 30-year-old flatmate who's got all these theories about, like, the deep mechanics of Pokemon, and here you are basically saying, oh, yeah, we make a baby toy. Like, that's what this is. <laughs> this is a, this is for toddlers. And, like, I took great pleasure in that because I could rub that in the face of people my age and say, well, it's fun. You know, you say it's sophisticated. They talk about it in these really infantile terms. And I do wonder if, if some of my Pokemon thinking is influenced by the ones that I have played more, which is basically heart gold forwards uh, mm-hmm. for work. 
mechanically were very very soft i don't know how they stack up compared to their original versions but like a a beef i had with this series was that basically the the six pokemon i took through heart gold and then black and white were the first six pokemon i found and they were just higher level than everything and it was like well i didn't have to engage with any of its systems this whole elemental thing it doesn't matter like it it literally makes no sense because you can cancel that out just by being having a natural level gap and Catherine when it was then saying oh they changed the leveling on the monsters and how your party levels and that has a big impact it used to be a lot more strategic but you know coming to it in the modern age you have a very different perspective of it from from how other people have described it to me yeah Yeah. I, i i do wonder if it is there are some things like so, like, Pokemon has brand managers and stuff. And there's smart people who have paid a lot of money to think about this stuff all day. And I think there's something uh, kind of wise about saying, this is our target audience, let's not age up with it. And I think, conversely, um, a good example of if you do the opposite of that is, like, what happened to the entire American comic book industry between, like, the 60s and today, where, um, you know, these were comics made for, like, six-year-olds, you know, like your earlier, like Superman's and Batman comics. But rather than stick to that age group, they got taken over by the people, like the people who ended up working on them were the people who grew up with them as kids and they wanted to make Batman and Superman for them now as adults. And then gradually you end up with today where you have like 18 rated movies featuring like characters who are made for babies um, mm. and ultimately becomes way more of like a niche market. And I think there was something wise in Pokemon saying, this is what we're good at. This is who we're for. This is as complex as we are. And, like, if you want more than that, maybe you should, like, try other Nintendo games, you know? Uh, try yeah. other RPGs. And I, I kind of admire them for not caving into, like, a fan demand for an older Pokemon. And as much as the fans say, like, they're, 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 maybe there's fans who are, like, there's implying a decline over time. The new one, Legends Arceus, will probably sell more copies than anything. I don't know. Like, I'm sure it will stay very successful. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point about comics, Jay. Because, like you say, the that market kind of has become like an island of like mm. basically men in their fifties who buy the comics, and they're the people who need to be appeased. So, anytime they do something quite wild to try and like get to reach new fans, they're very vocally upset, and then things get like. Um, dial back and then yeah but then like that market just shrinks all the time and all the new readers are coming in to read like image comics or manga or something else mm-hmm. um so that's a very fair point um so i can see the the aspect there of like re- renewing um what pokemon is for different generations um, I, do, I do like the idea of them making a pokemon where like all the monster designs are like aimed at like now 40 year olds and they just really sort of mundane kind of like you know, here's like a food blender. Oh, I guess a food blender was one. That was a terrible example. <laughs> Do you want like divorced Pikachu? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Miracle Man, but with Pokemon. It's just like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I-, I did want to touch on like um, a personal uh, element of like how I fell out of love with Pokemon because mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's definitely tied to age, but I- I- it was just- it was a meaningful experience to me. So um, I got very big into uh, gold and silver of course that came out and um, that had the miracle of like having this uh, this all new world to explore but also let you explore um the, the the world from red and blue as well so you had like double the amount of cities and gym leaders when i when i finished it i felt like i was sort of spiritually done with pokemon because the the last um fight in the game 
is your new protagonist fighting the protagonist from Red and Blue. So it's you fighting yourself. And like this, this other version of you, this um, this red character has like Pokemon that Ash did and does in the cartoons. Basically, like a really high level Pikachu and stuff like that. And so, um, I felt and he, he, like in the um, like in Red and Blue, he doesn't say anything when you meet him. It's just dot dot dot, and then the fight begins. And then like that ends that game. And what well, the game ends long before that actually, but like that's like the end game's end. And mm-hmm. um, I remember feeling like uh, I think I was like about to turn thirteen, and I felt like I was just sort of kind of done with pokemon and like um the anime had also at that point gone to something called like um, i think it was orange islands and it was like nothing to do with the games yeah they kind of did like a filler yeah yeah like there was a period between that the uh, gold and silver came out and the anime had finished so they had to kind of like invent their own original story but just using the, the original games as basis that's a great anecdote i think um if you talk to pokemon fans especially who are like our age and older i think that Meeting Red is considered, like, one of the great all-time video game moments, like, full stop across the entire mm. medium. I think that's, like, very, like, a very kind of, like, big moment. I remember, um, like, that was, like, hushed playground talks of, like, you can meet the original you and you can beat him. And it's crazy. Mm. And he's really, really, he's the hardest Pokemon trainer of all time. I do actually think that, um, in a way, uh, Red slash Blue and Gold slash Silver act kind of like a duology and i have seen it said like if pokemon ended with that duology that would have felt quite complete mm. um and it only is that it was so successful that it carried on that we saw more but in the, there's maybe like an alternate universe where those were the pokemon games and that wrapped it up and that was kind of like the full stop on the franchise mm. and i think um quite also quite famously with gold and silver um they managed to put the entire world map of red and blue in it as post game in this yeah. like insane technical maneuver which was famously made possible by Satoru Iwata who was like mm. an absolute like genius at like compression who like compressed the work so much he was like okay you've got all this room what do you want to do and then they just like stuck it in last minute they're like we want to have another lorry tile <laughs> uh. it's it's almost a Kojima-ish twist that you know, that at the end you fight your former self. That's like something that people will be writing 20,000 word essays about now if Kojima sure, did that. I'm sure essays on that moment definitely exist somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure video essays as well. I like yeah. that it's a warning. It's like, this is how... It, it's like saying to Pokemon fans, this is how this ends for you. Like, you're <laughs> obsessed with this game. You will end alone in a cave. Um, <laughs> Well, no, because he's like he's like the champion of all champions at that point. You, it's like you're, it's like almost like a Colonel Kurt style figure <laughs> in the Pokemon world of like, you know, this this is like the guy who beat everyone, and you're kind of like following his trail basically. And like, um, yeah, I don't know, I, okay, it's good, and I think that's the other. I think that is the other thing, Jay, is that like when I came to play basic first of all like my interest in pokemon faded in the noughties when the gba games came around but that also coincided with pokemania dipping a little bit and then yeah the ds comes along and i feel like because the ds is so massively popular and at that point there's a little bit of a nostalgia factor that leads to uh, diamond and pearl becoming massive and then mm-hmm. like it all kind of kicks off again and now it's never really gone away um so i, I think that's like another thing that happened i think that's i think that's quite a good i feel like um so you had your big boom. I think once Gold and Silver came out, there was a sense like culturally like this isn't mainstream anymore. Like um, the first two films came out in like cinema. I actually have an anecdote where I very vividly remember um, my friend from school's uh, mum took us to see Pokemon the movie and afterwards was like, that was the, the worst thing you've ever made me go and see. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but yeah, there is a sense that like, okay, this as a broader cultural thing, it was it was like over. We'd like wrapped that up with gold and silver. Uh, Ruby Sapphire came, and then like it kind of had a bit of a comeback. And then maybe there's just like a sense of like you hit that singularity moment where there's enough fans that this can just become self-sustaining forever as long as there is high quality content. Because you're right, yeah. once you hit the DS, okay, now it's an online game, which means there's like, and then that's kind of like um, you're talking then about like the mid to late 2000s, so like online fan culture, you know, like got like Tumblr and stuff is very big. YouTube is kicking off. Um, fan culture can kind of become this self-sustaining thing, and now. I don't think Pokemania as it was in the 90s, and if you're young, if like anyone like younger than us is listening, like it's really hard to convey like just how omnipresent it was because nothing can be like that now. We had there's yeah. too much like stuff, there's too much like media in the world. Um, you can like have there's all these subcultures that we've never heard of that have that are like self sustaining, but there's just so much stuff in the world now that we'll never hear of it. But at that moment, this, this was like a pre internet, pre social media age. And there was just Pokemon everywhere. It was the, yeah. this, It was this. It's. It was like so big. Yeah. It was a proper like kids on playgrounds trading Pokemon cards thing. Like it was. Uh, yeah. It was just everywhere. My parents hated it because it was everywhere, um, and it seemed very cursed to them. Um, and so yeah, yeah. It was definitely like uh, just so so enormous. But I agree. It's become um, self perpetuating. Like I think um, Sword and Shield are actually two of the highest selling entries in the series, and like oh, yeah. obviously that coincides with the Switch being massive. And, you know, I, I will say that after the D, the DS games were the last time I really loved the aesthetic of these games. Like, I think that they look really nice in the DS ones. And, but I, I think that the Game Boy ones and the, the DS ones and the GBA ones, they all looked fantastic for the time. They were, like, as good as good as they needed to be for the hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay, I want to get to your, your um, best Pokemon game spit. So the last thing I want to ask you about before we have a little break is um, you worked on making a, a Pokemon fan game. And <laughs> this has O&M connections. And I know that the fan game sort of rom hack scene generally is quite quite an interesting side of a sort of subculture of pokemon i guess like um, oh yeah do you talk about that a bit oh yeah I, I, pokemon like nintendo have a very uh fraught relationship with fan content creators and uh like especially fan game creators um there is like a scene around there's two kind of this kind of branches into two uh split kind of like paths when it comes to pokemon you have like a uh, rom hacks where essentially people like patch existing roms the idea is like some, you download an emulated ROM and then they've put this patch then that will turn that into a new game that will add new Pokemon, it will add new moves it will like rearrange the world and that can be as drastic and as like small as you know, you want so like some of the fan patches are just like okay, we make it, so we add all the Pokemon that, you know, because um, there's the two with the two versions, you can't connect every Pokemon in one game so sometimes it'll be like, okay, we fix that and we make it so you can get all the Pokemon and then, like, some people have done, like, ROM hacks that are, like, entire games, essentially, like, remade using the engine. And then on the other side of that, um, there's, like, a set of tools called Pokemon Essentials, which is, it basically is, like, you're not using ROM hacks, so there's no, like, illegality side to it, or, like, kind of, like, legally gray area to it. Um, it uses RPG Maker XP, which is, like, an old an old build of RPG Maker. And there's all these tools, for basically, they've recreated the engine, like, very impressively and um using that uh, about like 12 years ago there was on the O&M forums there was like a uh, a a fan game project to make a game uh it was called pokemon dawn and i ended up spearheading it because i was a moderator and i knew how to make games unlike most people who were just like kids who would just like the idea of making a game so for about a year or so i was in charge of um 
putting together O&M's uh, premiere fan game. Um, <laughs> I think I released one demo build that had like the first two towns and a gym leader, and then it never got any further than that. Um, and the idea was that we'd crowdsource, um, you know, designs from, you know, like people would submit drawings, then someone else would do like a sprite version of it, and then I'd stick it in the game. Uh, the problem was that they didn't look very good. Um, and yeah, it didn't get very far. I think it was a great learning experience for me in terms of, wow, actually it takes a lot to make a game. And I do actually think there's maybe a seed, like a seed of Genesis there in terms of um, like with cassette beasts now, like this is like my second run around having this genre. So in a way I kind of like had a bit of experience from doing that the first time around as a teenager. Mm. Um, so yeah, Something that, that very- was brazen about doing it in the O&M forums right under Nintendo's nose yeah I think the key was the key was that we were like <laughs> we're not going to do a ROM hack because we don't want to upset Nintendo on the official Nintendo magazine forum so we'll be using <laughs> the RPG Maker engine which is uh, technically it's a fan created thing so it's technically not like a emulation it's right. just like sprites and stuff but um, yeah I remember it. It, was, it was I was fond of the memory of it I think in retrospect it probably was awful but um <laughs> yeah, I think that the fun game scene has definitely been a big part of this. And um, Nintendo are very famous for kind of like cease and desisting anything they think is stepping on their toes too much. Um, I just uh, sent to my co-worker a video of someone who made a fan game and posted it on Twitter where you um, you kill all the Pokemon with guns and it's an FPS. And people were just replying to it saying like, this is going to get cease and desisted so hard. Like Nintendo is going to, like Mario is going to bust down your door like a, like a SWAT team. <laughs> We used to, whenever we had these really strict brand guidelines for, and if we ever did anything official Pokemon, like even on Endgamer, I think if we did free gifts, you'd have like quite strict brand guidelines. But there was always these really weird ones, like Pikachu can't be seen to endorse like the Boy Scout movement. <laughs> I, someone I know, um, I, at some point had a, had access to like a handbook of like branding and what you're allowed to do. And one of the things is, like, Pikachu and Pokemon cannot do drugs. Yeah, they can't have opinions on religion. (laughs) (laughs) God does not exist in the world of Pokemon. Yeah. Pokemon cannot have their own uh, alt-right Twitter accounts. Um, Yeah. I just like the Um, idea of a Pikachu with a cigarette going, like, the Scouts is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Geordies are not allowed to rap about this ever again. (laughs) There is footage on, uh, going back to the SMTV Live link, of uh, Anton Deck uh, rapping with Billy Piper of Doctor Who and, and pop music fame doing like a Pokemon rap. I feel mm-hmm. like the like the VHS recordings of those are like such cursed objects. You'd find them in like the oldest house from the game Control just sealed away <laughs> in like a vault. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really go into that too much, but like a big part of like uh, the sort of Trojan horse of Pokemon culture here was SMTV and their they would like preface every episode with this fake Pokemon battle between uh, Deck, one of the hosts, dressed as uh, Misty from Pokemon, and doing this like screaming voice. Um, had this weird running joke where um, uh, Misty Deck was obsessed with Brian from Westlife, if I recall, a boy band. Yeah. Um, and then like there would just be like this chaotic health bar on screen, <laughs> and like it was really random and strange, and like. Um, 
SMTV was actually like probably as <laughs> if you're a kid in like the late nineties, early noughties, as close to like alternative comedy as you could get on like terrestrial TV. <laughs> um, it was quite anarchic and strange, but like, yeah, I, I imagine to anyone who wasn't there to look at any of this footage, they'd be like, "What the actual fuck is that?" Yeah, explaining um, to people younger than us that like drag acts were as a key part of the Pokemon branding for us for the year 1999. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That was totally part of what it was. And like, um, uh... yeah, it was among the le- the less successful skits on that show, I-, I would say. like, I would say Deck Says and Chums were both superior SMTV segments, <laughs> but um, to each their own. Um, Matthew, anything to add there? Or should we take a break and come back with the second section? Uh, I just want to say how much I love the Michael Caine Muppets Christmas Carol meme. Yeah, I do want to like. I did want to um, recreate that on this podcast somehow, but I couldn't figure out how to do the last bit. I, I like, think I, that, I could... is, that is about as good as it gets, Pokemon memes wise. Yeah, I thought I could cut in. Who's that Pokemon? And then me just going, "It's Diglett," but I couldn't work out how to do the last bit, so I just thought <laughs> I just won't bother. Um, there you go. Okay, that's ah no, it's my grave. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, well, that seems like a good point to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with um, uh, Jay's countdown of the best Pokemon games across different categories. you into it enough i keep feeling like i'm worried that i'm excluding you yeah well i hope i'm not just turning up to be the fucking dunk you know dunk bot <laughs> no i appreciate that you asked your siblings about uh stuff apparently my little brother like much much younger brother will when he was playing the ds version my brother alex um looked at his copy of the game and he'd renamed all his pokemon incredibly sinister stuff <laughs> and my all my the one my brother remembered was that he had a budgie just named flesh <laughs> <laughs> well we have to keep this in the podcast now you know that right? yeah I'll, like, okay, has... I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it in somehow okay <laughs> that's got like that's got like big mind hunter energy do you know what i mean when like um <laughs> when the the older guy's um son turns out to be a psychopath like it's that kind of that kind of thing all right um Welcome back to the podcast. So let's go through some of the um, the best uh, Pokemon games across different categories, um, leveraging Jay's expertise, which he's kindly brought onto this episode. So, um, Jay, why don't you kick off with your first game here? Cool. Um, so I think my first point was like, what's the best gateway into the series today? So, like, if you were if you were wanting to introduce like a fresh per- like a fresh player, they haven't got too much experience with Pokemon. What you would recommend to them to jump in, and I don't have a singular answer because I think what I would say like what I would say depends on your circumstances. If you want if you have kids, I think that um did you play uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu slash Eevee? No, I didn't oh, sorry I didn't actually know, no. Oh no. Um this was great, actually. Um this is a really solid kind of remake of uh like red and blue. It was them doing like the nostalgia throwback, but Again, they're keeping in that mentality of like, this isn't for the people who grew up with this as much as it is like, this is bringing a version of those memories to new fans. Um, a lot of people early on before this was out, like theorized they'd do like a dark, you know, like, an, a, like a dark interpretation of those games for older fans. But they're nope. They were like, nope, this is even more for kids than ever. Um, <laughs> Good. So they've even, they've simplified it more. So um, catching Pokemon is about like, 
using motion controls to throw a little ball. And they're kind of tying a little bit into the branding of um, Pokemon Go with that, where there's like the battle isn't really an aspect of it anymore. Um, but I thought this was actually like a really solid game. It actually looks good. It looks... I'd say this has like the nicest graphics of a Pokemon game up to this point in terms of like fidelity and lighting and mm. going into the 3D aspect. Um, it's just like a really lovingly recreated version of those original games. It's almost like doing the like, this is how you remember them, but looks nicer. Um, it has this, a peripheral, right? Yeah, it has a little ball. It has like the Pokemon uh, ball controller, which you connect to your Switch. And um, it's got a joystick on the uh, the button on the Pokeball. And you essentially use that to control. Um, it's a really fun novelty. And then it hurts your wrist after about like 45 minutes. Great. But um, <laughs> it's great. It's like, I mean, in terms of if you frame it as a, like you're a kid, you want to get into Pokemon. And then you get this game that comes with a Pokeball. And then you can throw that Pokeball without letting go uh, to catch a Pokemon. I think that's How just like many a- TVs got shattered because of that? <laughs> And it's definitely in league with like Wii Bowling for sure. I reckon <laughs> um, the power rankings of like televisions destroyed by Nintendo peripherals. Um, so in terms of like if if you're approaching this like okay I have kids or like younger family members and I want to just like have a fun time playing this, um, I definitely think let's go on the Switch. Other than that, so you've got kind of got it branches into two different branches now. You've got. Um, do you want to jump straight into like sword and sword and shield which is kind of like the big bumper pack of like this is the pokemon game we just threw everything in um Mm -hmm. it's the same format as previous games but it's like the appeal here is like there are so many pokemon um they've just like stuck them all in there's these big wide open areas they call the wild areas and um you can just collect like you can just catch like monsters from across the entire kind of like history of pokemon is that the england set one yeah there is a there is a town based on bath in this game uh if that uh catches your interest um, it's got jc's kitchen in it i don't think there i don't think there's any easier reason it to be honest oh well that's they obviously haven't been to bath that's like this (laughs) defining feature it has a really wonky english localization where everyone just says mate um very much (laughs) not made my english man at all um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no, I think as in terms of like if the appeal of Pokemon is like I want to maybe I've dropped off the, dropped off for a while I want to jump in and just have a game that has like a load of these guys in I just want to catch a load of Pokemon um, I'd go with this yeah um, I think this uh, is one that had a lot of controversy when it came out because it didn't have enough Pokemon in Dexit but yeah Dexit so I guess part of the long term appeal uh, we touched on this briefly is that you can always catch every Pokemon... You can always get every Pokemon in every Pokemon game through transfer. So you can theoretically keep your same team in each game. And the controversy with this game is not every Pokemon was in this, only most of them. And I I just feel like, that's fine. Games are hard to make. This is a lot of legacy content to support, and it's probably only important to, like, 1% of the player base. I imagine... Yeah, the but majority of players are the one percent who are writing all the articles online. It's true, but then at the end of the day, they sold so well, so I don't think it actually held them back from buying this oh, game. That's good. Um, yeah. Plus, the DLC added a bunch more. Yeah, yeah, the... it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is just a good. This is a fun. Like, if you want that, like the broad newest Pokemon experience, you can jump in. Um, and then, other than that, uh, Diamond and Pearl. I realize at this point, I'm just listing the Pokemon games that are available on Switch. Oh, you're right, Diamond and Pearl, Duke. So I. 
I felt like, because that was the, obviously the first Pokemon that came out when I was on Nintendo Mags, mm-hmm. and it didn't it didn't seem to have, like, it didn't seem to sort of stick around that long. Like, it didn't feel like people were talking about it much. I think it had a long tail when it came out because it kind of tapped into, like, the online aspect. Um, right. So I think there's a lot of, like, uh, there's a lot of, like, love for Diamond and Pearl. And I, the remakes that just came out, um, a lot of people don't love the art. I think they're definitely going for that, like, an interpretation of the Game Boy style. So right. if you're someone, I think if you're someone who is, you're big into like, I want my Pokemon people to be tiny little, little Lego men on my screen. I want to have that top-down look. I want it to feel like that in terms of how you play. Very much like assigned to a grid. Um, they, they they kind of kept the feel of it for better or for worse. Mm. And I feel like if that's a part of the appeal to you, ultimately all these games play like as solidly as they will play. They're all pretty solid. And you can have a fun time with all of them. And I think to an extent it taps into like, the question is what you want out of a Pokemon game. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I would say as well that like, um, as uh, I would say that Sword and Shield is the one to get if you're like a lapsed player. Yeah. Um, just because I actually do think it looks like reasonably nice. I think mm-hmm. it looks nicer than this new one does. Um, like I think that the, they, the, they took enough inspiration from the UK in terms of like giving this world some character that I think it looks, it doesn't look too sparse or too, too disappointing. It is cool to see the Pokemon on the, on the screen in front of you as you're exploring these world areas. And, you know, it is very easy still. Um, has other nice things though, that like the whole like um, trading with strangers thing where mm-hmm. it's like, I'll just throw a Pidgey into like a box and then like get back like a, you know, like a Bulbasaur or something like that. And I, I thought there was a nice like community element to that. Um, yeah. That made it feel like there was, you know, a nicer player base out there making Ooh. it nicer for new players. And, I think, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's not. It's I, I good. think it definitely taps into this feeling of like um, they make a Pokemon game that's kind of like a space you hang out in, and then mm. like so they have these big areas and you can just like hang out and like find wild Pokemon. And you're right in that like if you're a lapsed player, there's something appealing about seeing a bunch of Pokemon you don't know, but then like you'll see Ghastly. It's him. It's Ghastly. He's back. And at last. but that being very nonchalant, <laughs> at last Ghastly is back. Um, and there's something very kind of like appealing about how nonchalantly they mix these like classic creatures that you might be familiar with with like the new ones. It's just like an ecosystem they create. And yeah, um, yeah I so I feel like Sword and Shield is maybe the best bet, but I think that also uh, Let's Go definitely gets got slept on. I think online, I think it's definitely got less for a lapsed player who wants to jump into something really hardcore. But I think it's a wonderful kind of game they put together for like, hey, everyone who was, who was that age, like with a kid when they came when it came out, is now old enough to play this through with their kids. And I think it's nice that Nintendo thinks about that kind of thing. You know, mm. I think that it's nice that they think about like, what like parents might be playing or what like younger players and younger siblings will be thinking about. They're not just going for this like increasingly hardcore aging audience mm. um is yeah does it have missing no in it jay missing no is not back i guess we oh, didn't right. touch on that we didn't have time because there's just so much to talk about when it comes to like old pokemon lore has it got me under a truck you know i don't think it has me under the truck i i didn't check that would be quite funny if they added that um yeah maybe you can miss- edit this before it broadcasts to confirm that me was under the truck <laughs> <laughs> um yeah missing no is another of those hard edges that they soften off that i was talking about uh but like that's an inadvertent hard edge so yeah uh, yeah. yeah but um yes uh so let's go on to the next category jay so the best story um, of the pokemon games okay um so matthew you said you reviewed black and white right yeah what was your impressions on this game as someone who 
kind of jumped in, maybe not being super familiar at this point. I didn't think it did much to disguise it's just the quite basic structure of the Pokemon mm-hmm. game, which is go to these eight places and then this other place, is really my take. It's not very complicated, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So I think what's interesting about Black and White is that um, Pokemon normally jumps up with a generation. And this was the one where they were like, okay, we've got two generations that are releasing on the same hardware. This was kind of a last hurrah for the DS. This was like, right, we're going to finish off the DS um we this has already had uh diamond and pearl uh early on in its like in its like life cycle we're just gonna like shift off those last ds's with like black and white it's not gonna be a huge technical leap above the previous game mm. so we're gonna kind of do something different with it to kind of set it apart going from diamond and pearl to black and white's interesting because black and white is kind of like what if pokemon was a bit more of like a regular jrpg in terms of like how we approach like narrative and character like, up until this point, we're still running on that kind of bare-bones logic of, like, there's a very simple narrative. You're going across this world, you meet these guys, you do kind of, like, a little story as you go. Um, but Black and White was the first time they were like, okay, characters are much more central to it as an experience. And I think, obviously, it's going to be less than it will be, like, if, you've, if you're, like, a Final Fantasy veteran at this point. But it is mm. interesting to see how this one takes a bit more of a turn to the cinematic. The premise of this one is that um, the villain has essentially created his, like, conditioned his own Pokemon protagonist. So you have this character called N, who is like essentially your rival figure. But what like kind of makes it a bit more interesting in terms of the wider kind of mythos of Pokemon is that he is like a figure who has been created to be a protagonist. There's almost like a meta angle where the villains of the Pokemon world realize that the most powerful thing you can be is a 10-year-old boy who loves Pokemon. So they create, like, their own version of that. So you're kind of, like, crossing paths with this other figure as you go. It kind of, like, switches things up. So as you go to the Elite Four at the end, spoilers for this game that's over 10 years old, like, the villain, like, the kind of villain, like, force in this game kind of takes over the league and like, it changes it into this big like castle dungeon that feels very Final Fantasy, and um, it's a bit more set piecey this one. It ends on like a big set piece where both of you have to like get your own legendary dragon, and it's you and this rival, and you you're kind of on opposing ends of this conflict, but you both have the same kind of like attitude. And this one, I mean, Pokemon so- games will never be story first because the story is you in this world mm. catching these Pokemon. But this was an interesting one that feels like they were stuck in this generation and they were like, what can we do to shift, like, switch this one up and make it kind of a bit more, like, apart from the other game? This is why you needed a Pokemon fan reviewing this game <laughs> because I I literally wrote down this quote from my review because it made me laugh how dismissive I was. This is from my black and white review. It just said, while the yarn is the same old garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, oh. and ultimately, the the story is the adventure you go on. But I think... This felt like the one they were like, let's try and be a bit more cinematic. There's cutscenes and stuff, and it gets, gets very. Uh, the story takes over the classic progression, I mean, which feels a little bit like. I mean, in terms of other video game series, is not that dramatic, but in terms yeah, of like, what you expect from Pokemon, pretty exciting. Okay, I, I I definitely didn't get that context within Pokemon. In the context of all games, yes. it's still a yikes from me. <laughs> It's still a game for kiddies, sure. (laughs) It's still a yikes for me, Matthew Castle. Um, Very good. I I didn't know it was... Is that a widely held opinion? I think so. I think Black and White has become um, the ones people love online. So they actually followed this up insanely with Black and White 2, which uh, were just two separate, like, second releases. 
which they released like at the very very tail end of yeah. the ds and that was like we're really shifting these last units um and then black and white 2 takes all that does a sequel story that follows up on the original story and then ends on a massive end game where you have a world tournament that brings in every major character and protagonist and villain from all the previous games to have this big tournament arc so i actually think black and white 2 is the big if you go to like the the long-term pokemon fan they're like black and white and black and white 2 are this like amazing duology and i suspect we'll see a remake of them uh, eventually just to bring that into the modern day because again they haven't re-released any of these ds ones in their original forms well maybe Um, i will replay them and reappraise them you liar. <laughs> fucking liar, Matthew Castle is there. But um, I'll I tell you what, though, Jay, I do appreciate this is why I want you on the episode, because that's the kind of perspective that me and Matthew couldn't um, couldn't provide. So I appreciate the um, the, the detail there. I don't I, know that about black and white. It's I cool. did describe Snivy, or Snivy, I don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's Snivy, yeah. The, the grass Pokemon from black and white, as having the air of Richard E. Grant about him. <laughs> it's <fun. laughs> very good. I, I don't doubt this is a great piece of writing, Matthew. It's, it's not. Uh... It's, it's it's dog shit. It's so <laughs> I was. So, it's it's like I, a review I remember being out of my depth on and like, oh boy, I'm just gonna have to take a swing at this and offer my honest opinion. I gave it like eighty eight. That's why I can tell it's bad because I don't like Pokemon and I still gave it an eighty eight. That was me guessing at what a Pokemon fan would like. <laughs> uh, that's how I felt when I had to review Pez two thousand eight. It was a <laughs> tough time. Tough time for old Sammy Roberts. Great um, boots. No, no. <laughs> the ball really goes in this one. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, Jay, what do we want to the next category? Fire okay. through these. So the best world to discover. Um, hit me up. Uh, this is a heart pick. Ruby and Sapphire was like, so this is the jump to uh, Game Boy Advance hardware. And uh, up to this point, so like, um, you know, red and blue and gold and silver, they were going for an aesthetic that's kind of like, not quite rural, like rural Japan meets a little bit of like urban Japan. Mm. And uh, Hoenn region was then being like, let's do some, you know, this is like a full color hardware. Uh, let's do some fun stuff with this world. So the world of uh, Hoenn from... Uh, Ruby and Sapphire is my fave. As technology's gotten a bit like more advanced, like games like um, Sword and Shield, by necessity, have to be a bit more linear. And I think the apparent, like the linear nature of the world becomes more apparent the more like high fidelity they are. Um, you know, they're not using a tile editor to like do this world tile by tile. There's like they're a little bit more limited in kind of like the exploration aspect of this. I feel like uh, Ruby and Sapphire was a point early on where like. You were still in that sense of like Pokemon can be quite mysterious and it's still a little bit more challenging than it would be later on. But also mm. like you can like do a cooler, like, do cool stuff with that world. So this starts you off in like your towns and then you'll kind of like see yourself going through like kind of like a volcanic marshes and um, rainforests, which are really cool. And a big aspect of this world is this big kind of open ocean that has all these uh, islands and stuff. Part of the love for this is that this is the point where they were like, we can start hiding cool stuff in the world. So Ruby and Sapphire came with a manual that has a Braille alphabet. And mm. then a part of the end game of this game is finding ancient like tombs and deciphering Braille to uncover these like ancient legendary Pokemon who are called like the Regi. And then these ancient like stone titans that represent like the Stone Age, the Bronze Age. You're like opening this like handbook and like you're like deciphering things and going back to your game and solving these puzzles. And there's an aspect of like going out into the world and finding weird like ancient mysteries. You know, there's a point where you go to this big tower that's not even, it's never, you're never like instructed to go to it. You travel up this like crumbling tower that has like floors, like floors that like fall in. 
And then at the top, you get like Rayquaza, who is this big legendary dragon. And there's just this thing really appealing to me about this world that's kind of like, it's very varied in terms of the environments they can take you through and the towns they take you through. But it's also early enough that they can like spend like development time on like hidden stuff and like kind of like hidden aspects to this world and make it feel like it's tapping into that early sense of like, this is a world that there's lots in there. I don't know if either of you have experiences in this one. This is this is definitely the lull between Pokemon being huge and then kind of like having its resurgence. Yeah, I, I sort of missed this one, but I um I had like a, I have a sibling who's very very into this generation of them, mm-hmm. um particularly Emerald, just massively into that one. Um, and I I always like that you have like your own little homestead in it, like a little cave that you can live in. Or yeah, like that. this is re- yeah. this is um. So there's a really cool system in here. This is something that never really got brought back. So um, you can in the in the game, like in the cliff like walls that you like pass. Sometimes there's like a crack in it, and you can create a um, it's called like a secret base. And it's like there's like a little decoration aspect where you can place like um, decorative tiles that you get throughout the game. But what is super mega cool is that um, so obviously they have like trading up to this point. They don't have online yet, but they had something called like I think it's like share data where you connect to a friend's account like a like a friend's game um with a link cable and it then populates the world with your secret base and places mm. an npc of you in the world with the party you had at the time that cool. they can fight so suddenly the world and this is like a pre-internet game is like being changed and like adjusted by the friends and like mm. you can like fight your friends and like level up fighting the team they had and then if you share with someone else, all the friends that you have transfer as well. So, like, there was definitely, I remember a playground aspect of this, of, like, pretty if you, like, did the right link-ups, then like, everyone in the playground who had the game could then, like, populate your world. And I think yeah, that's, that's cool. a really cool idea. They never really brought that back in the same kind of way. Um, Is um, that still in the 3DS one they did, Jay? I don't know. I haven't played much of the 3DS one. I, th- I Part of the pick of uh, Ruby and Sapphire for the world is just the aspect of... Um, you know, like, this is an easily accessible one now if, as long as you have a 3DS because you can get copies of that. They'll probably go for, like, 100 quid now in CEX. But um, it's technically <laughs> an accessible game with the remakes of uh, Alpha, uh, Ruby, and Omega Sapphire. Or maybe it's the wrong way like around. R- but, yeah. But yeah, um, like I don't know for sure if they have this feature. But I remember this being, like, a big, cool aspect of, like... It's just, like, clever engineering, you know? That's, like, a really... It's really cool that they had something like that so early on. It's like, what if someone visited your town in Animal Crossing, um, brought their house with them, never left when they disconnected, and you just went over and beat the shit out of them over and over again? Absolutely, like, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, that's cool, Jay, and I, I agree that, like, the, I thought the GBA art was just lovely. That was, like, maybe peak Pokemon art um, times, like, a, like so with the DS one, like, it just looked really, really nice. So, um, yeah, good pick. Um, so, your next category, Jay, um, talk us through it. Best roster of monsters... I guess, like, the question is, like, what makes a good Pokemon? Is it, like, uh, the art director, uh, James Turner, who is, uh, I appreciate, because he's also a lanky British man who draws little guys. Um, (laughs) He said, Pokemon have to look like a friend. And I love that. That's such a cute, like, summation of, like, what is a Pokemon? Does Mr. Mime look like a friend, Jay? He he looks like someone's friend. I don't know, like, what kind (laughs) of friend. But uh, someone could be his friend. Um, This gotta be, this gotta be the original ones, though. There's something so enduring and iconic about like the generation one of Pokemon. And I think mm. they know it because they always keep going back to it. And every time they go back and like add new forms and new like uh, evolutions, they always do it to the original. Um, it's quite impressive 
how few of these were misses off the bat. Like you talked about like Voltorb's crap, but like they got like they managed to like get like a big kind of a kind of range of designs and they really there's not like a syndrome there's not like a sense of like an early design syndrome where they it was a little bit wonky to start with and they kind of figured out like three games in mm. they like knew very early on like what like a pokemon looks like and what it should feel like and i think there's some, there is something like impressive about that i think there's something impressive that like by and large they haven't shifted too far from this original like uh batch of monsters um i don't know what either of you have like a uh, strong takes or feelings on the the classic batch of yeah. monsters i think at the time i thought like I, I was a mix of intrigue and finding them a bit strange pokemon when i was a kid um but i do think that over time when you see for example bulbasaur turn up in that detective pikachu movie i think you said to me jay that was a big moment for Bulb- bulbasaur it was a big people. moment it was a big moment for bulbasaur he looked great <laughs> yeah um i think like those have endured as like uh, yeah they, i don't know they are like you know they're part of the sort of pop culture canon i guess i i you know i find them endearing when the um the pokemon trainer uh was um in smash bros uh brawl i thought it was awesome that the um the different starters were in there in different forms like um mm-hmm. uh yeah and I, I thought that that just it was just that just showed that like those those were kind of immortal and if anything i think that it's very much a diminishing returns on the add new pokemon like I've, i'm very I always think the legendaries look cool, but I think that some of the basic bitch Rattata and Pidgey style Pokemon are a bit like <laughs> uh, just kind of get get weaker over the generations. Sometimes highly variable. I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, yeah, I think it's also interesting as well. Um, so if you look at other games like uh, like so, if you take like Final Fantasy, what what they'll do is like redesign this monster can look different in this game based on the world of that monster. And there is actually something very specific about Pokemon where they like write. Pikachu always looks like Pikachu. He loses a little bit of weight over time, but by yeah, and large, he's Pikachu. That guy went on a diet for sure. They, 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 they got him on slim fast, um, <laughs> but by and large, they've like stuck with it. And I think you're right in that there's diminishing returns, and you can see them trying to like tackle that. And one of the things they did like in the last I don't know five years or so is that they started introducing like the regional versions. So rather than introduce a new crap Ponyta like spinoff, they'll be like it's a new version of ponyta it's the same one you know but it's like got different fire they're focusing more and more on like different interpretations or like like variants on those classic monsters rather than add like a new type of character that you have to kind of get used to over yeah. time the english trubbish would just be a trubbish with his guts torn open by seagulls <laughs> <laughs> i actually i go for bat for trubbish oh, okay. i think trubbish is uh, gets a bad rap but um I think there's just something there's something admirable about the fact that they like nailed it off the bat and everyone still loves them. I think Seal yeah. is crap, but by and large, <laughs> I think you can't really deny that the most enduring Pokemon designs are the original. For as sure. unexciting an answer as it is. I, I think that like um I definitely have a bit of a place in my heart for gold and silver as well, just because some of the weirder elements of that roster back when I was like I just had my eyes on that game and was just so so excited about it. They did seem very exotic and cool and interesting. Um, yeah, and I think it also so, yeah. Gold and Silver's roster kind of ties into that aspect of um, it's a duology. A lot of them are kind of like evolutions or pre-evolutions of the red and blue. And it almost mm. feels more like this is the complete Game Boy set roster rather than it being two halves as much. Yeah, exactly. That is, I think that is fair because they follow a lot of the same sort of principles. Um Jay, um, what's your best spin-off title in the Pokemon series? So I could go for like a heart pick and then start talking about how great the Nintendo 64 Pokemon Snap is. But 
we have to mention Pokemon Go Mania, uh, the, the summer of 2016, where everyone went nuts for Pokemon Go. I went on holiday to Stockholm that just when it exploded and there were everyone was walking around with their freaking phones even uh, it's when i saw really old people doing it i was like oh yeah this is massive uh, you know this this was the, this is that was the moment it all kind of came together i've not actually played one second of pokemon go <laughs> i have no idea like what it actually looks like it's bizarre because it kind of became like the second wind of pokemania in a more subdued platform specific sense i can't explain it i don't know why it took off as big as it did I don't have an answer on this one, but it was like, it did, it was, I remember them talking about this on um, like British morning talk, like daytime TV. And one of the hosts talking about how they downloaded the APK for Android because it hasn't come out officially on the, the European servers for Android store yet. And about how mad that was. I did want to throw this one out there, um, but Pokemon Snap is a great one. Um, Samuel, what's your what's your thoughts on Pokemon Snap? Why I liked it was uh, the N64 games really vividly let you see more of what the Pokemon world you imagined was yes. in the Game Boy world. Um, 100%. And so even though they're really it's really basic to play um, Pokemon Snap now, and obviously there's the um, new Pokemon Snap mm-hmm. on the Switch, which is far nicer looking, um, I do think that like this was the thing it was like it was kind of crossing the world of the anime with getting it getting you closer to the world of the anime mm-hmm. and the world of the games combining i guess um and so i like that about it and like yeah it's it's just it's just quite a nice game as well it's like it's quite passive it's it's a good fit for pokemon um it's a good idea for a spin-off basically yeah mm. it's it definitely ties into like what we talked about earlier where it's like everything was pokemania but also the games are a blank slate and the appeal of this was like this is a game that is like a more real version of what the Game Boy is only able to portray in a limited sense. It's, you know, you're, it takes you around little ecosystems and you see all the Pokemon moving about and stuff. And it, you're right, it's a very simple game. It's a very short game as well. But um, at that moment in time, that was like the, the perfect kind of spin-off they could release. I also got a shout out to Pokemon Stadium because that kind of does a similar thing where... Um, it has an expansion pack for the N64 co- uh, controller where you'd mm. plug in your cartridge from the Game Boy, like one of your Game Boy games, and load in your um, Pokemon. And it's essentially a way of like battling with your friends, but in like the, the, the HD equivalent of like the blurry N64 graphics. So <laughs> something really cool in terms of the technology of like plug your Pokemon game into this other Pokemon game and use it as, I guess, like in the title, as a stadium. So you can buy like battle on the big screen, and it takes it closer to the experience of like what the anime looks like. And I think that's mm. a really clever usage of like the console platform, like the, the the home console. Like rather than going for like we'll just do like a console RPG, it's very interesting that they kept the main series to the handheld. For sure, no, I, mm. I agree with you. That's uh, yeah, that's a that's a good a good fit. Has some fucking weird mini games as well. Pokemon Stadium. Um, <laughs> so uh, Jay, we come to the final category here the best retro title in the series so really curious to see what you pick here Um, you'll probably agree with me on this one i think pokemon gold silver is a really good if you're someone who can like stick it out with like the 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 old-timey kind of inputs and um kind of like the tech size and stuff of like uh game boy games gold and silver holds up really well i think gold and silver has become like in terms of the kind of like the wider canon like of like a fandom with pokemon has become the one people like 
remember the most fondly. Maybe, perhaps, more than Red and Blue, in a sense. There's just something about how this looks. Like, the, like This was the point where they jumped to a Game Boy Color. So you go from this very kind of like monochrome, simple style on Red and Blue to this very rich-coloured, unique-looking game. And because, again, essentially because it does contain the whole world of Red and Blue, it kind of covers all the bases if you were to jump mm. into an old one. What did, what did you make of the remake? Heart Gold and Soul Silver, I actually think, in terms of the DS titles, I rate them really highly. Um, I think mm. that DS titles look really good because this is the point where they're still using uh, pixel art for their characters. But mm. then you've got this like kind of like 3D world that adds some perspective. Um, I, I really, I, I mean, um, bringing this back to Cassette Beasts, like the look of Cassette Beasts looks more like Pokemon Diamond and Pearl than anything. Because we've right. gone for like a modern day take on 3D world with like uh, pixel art characters, just because I resonate with that so much. So if you want to jump into like a classic game, you could get the DS one, but then you could also go hard and go straight to the uh, Game Boy Color one. I think this holds up really well. Uh, of the ones I've played, Heart Gold, the remake, I, I, mm-hmm. is 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 the best one I've played. I really like. I thought the pedometer was like a really good match for it. I feel that had a big boom behind it because I remember that being really popular. Like, um, it the- does make sense the idea of like putting the thing in there and the idea of when you were out walking it was like benefiting your you know <laughs> creatures in some way I, I thought that was like a a very neat sort of thematic match yeah it definitely goes underappreciated how much they use interesting hardware to aid the core experience but it never changes the core experience you know your hmm. the pedometer or like plugging it into your n64 controller um or like using the link cable in weird ways they always use it to aid that core experience and i think that's really interesting i think there's there's something quite admirable and even though i said before that pokemon feels quite separate from nintendo that like like joy in finding new ways to like interact with this world they've created um feels very nintendo there is something Mm. very nintendo about that a combination of um uh pokemon go mania and um spiking retro prices has made like heart gold and soul silver really expensive to get hold of i think so if you don't want to spend that um you can uh, 3ds can just download like a virtual console version of crystal gold or silver and you can send your pokemon from that to the future into (laughs) sword and shield um via like quite a convoluted combination of pokemon related apps but i did do it a couple of years ago and um it's it yeah. cannot be understated how complicated it is to shift generations <laughs> you need to do you need to like subscriptions to services that might not even exist anymore i actually tried to yeah. do this um maybe in like 2019 and it was it was extremely difficult it is wild though to like um this was really depressing but i took my pokemon yellow pikachu and sent him forward to sword and shield and like it left the 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 trainer in that yellow with no Pikachu, which is the founding <laughs> feature of that game. Where's my friend? <laughs> so I entirely stripped his like roster of Pokemon, like his Charmander, his Bulbasaur, all that. They were all gone, and all he was left with is like one fucking Ratata and like and no Pikachu to interact with. And I just thought that was so bleak. That was like big kind of Jesse and Toy Story two vibes to that. I'd like um, it if the Pikachu turned up in the new game and just screams at like the graphics of the world. Just can't deal with being in 3d <laughs> yeah i was never meant to see this um, <laughs> where's <yeah>. my master <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah those those are I, I, they're still really pleasant to play the game boy ones so yeah if you've got a 3ds then um definitely just go and get um crystal or gold and it's also understated that as the like as the series has gone on they have like stuck with this kind of like aspect of like there's a big epic 
you know, like side plot going on with a big monster that's on the front, and there's a team that has like there's an enemy like faction that has something going on with them. But I think there was something so simplistic about Gold and Silver and Red and Blue, where the the like the pitch is you're going on a journey because you want to be a cool Pokemon guy. Um, your rival is a bastard because he's stopping you from doing that journey. Team Rocket are bastards because they're slowing you down. Everything is just about this core story. They're not like muddling it up and kind of overcomplicating it with lore about like ancient monsters and stuff. They're just mm. really going for that core. You go on this journey. Everything, everyone that slows you down is your enemy. Go nuts. And I think there's yeah. something kind of like beautiful about the simplicity of that. It is iconic. Like what a bastard! The original version of um, Blue slash Gary is, where he's like he's got his own theme tune, which tells you this guy is a bastard. And like his little sprite model's quiff goes from side to side when he walks, just to remind you that he is a bastard. And then when he fights, he uses a complete dick, and you're like, okay, yeah, this guy is a bastard. Um, and I think that's like yeah, elegant, like you say, um, nicely done. Because the rivals get too nice in the later ones. I think they they and, drop uh, it as a concept basically after Gold and Silver. Yeah, and the one in Gold and Silver is a nasty piece of work too. I'm I'm quite into that. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Jay. Like, um, I think those are some great recommendations. Um, really appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, something you know so much about. No worries. It's... I don't know if you had any anything to add on Pokemon. Like any closing thoughts? If you're someone who tweets on the internet about how it should they should make a big boy one for you, just play other games. That's I guess that's my only <laughs> request. I think Pokemon is doing exactly what it needs to do, and I okay. appreciate it in that. And also, wishlist my game. That'd be really nice. Yep. So, um, cassette beast. <laughs> that's uh, yep. And uh, you, you'll be able to play that on um, Game Pass and uh, PC and uh, consoles. Uh, it'll be good. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Jerry. No really I've had a great time. Always do. Oh, awesome. Thank you. We'll definitely have you on down the line yeah. um, to talk about something that isn't Pokemon or Sonic. Um, so something, something good next time. <laughs> what awful <laughs> franchises can we dredge up? <laughs> Matthew, do you have any closing thoughts on Pokemon to see us out? Uh oh, god. Um... Uh... If the answer's no, that's fine. I mean, the answer might be no. Um, okay. I'm still thinking about my little brother's Pokemon called Flesh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good closing thought. So Jay has life advice for people who can't get over Pokemon not being for big boys, and Matthew is still thinking about Flesh, the Pokemon, <laughs> um, doomed on to be to stay on a Game Boy cart. Um, thank you so much, Jay. Um, where can people get you on Twitter? Um, you can follow our studio at uh, bytn studio on Twitter. Yeah, don't need to follow me. I'm not important. If you do follow Jay, um, then uh, you occasionally see me tweet uh, Bionicle memes at him just to kind of get his opinion on them. Um, Best Bionicle James is coming in 2025. I'll come back (laughs) to the podcast. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, So the podcast can be followed at Backpage Pod on Twitter. You can send us um, letters and emails for the um, show at backpagegames at gmail.com. Matthew, where can people find you on social media? Mr. Basil underscore pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts, and we'll be back next week with an episode that isn't about Pokemon. Thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.